0: take your bibles and turn with me to the gospel of mark we finally continue our study some of y'all did you think pastor did you forget about the second half of mark no i didn't i was uh... just thankful i had a couple of extra weeks to study this this passage because today the title of our message and guys i'm gonna try believe it or not i'm gonna try to drive the slides today so you josh you get to sit back and relax thank you brother for all your help over these last several weeks and I'll try to drive it today. So the title of our message today is Marriage, Divorce, and Gospel Hope. How many of you would say, I'm glad you had a couple of extra weeks, pastor, to get ready for this message? Say amen. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you. Uh, Actually, that's encouraging because you have confidence in your pastor that I didn't need the extra study. Well, actually I did. But uh, I I am thankful I had extra weeks to study this because it's a difficult subject. And uh, just by way of introduction, I just want to read what I wrote on the worship guide. Um, I don't know if you catch that little paragraph there after the greeting and welcome each week, but um, it kind of introduces my heart and thoughts behind what we're sharing today in the message. And then on the inside, we have a little area for you to take notes. And if there's anything you want to take notes on today, it would be this. I would encourage you to do so. Um, Let me just ask this question before I read the introduction. How many of you, in some way on some level, have been touched by divorce, whether in your immediate family or a friend, a good friend. Somebody, you know, raise your hand if you've been touched by the issue of divorce in your life. Okay, that's almost 100%. And so I think this message is going to apply on so many levels, and so I hope that today this study will help all of us here in this room. So today we're going to continue, finally, our study in the Gospel of Mark with a passage that I again I'm thankful to have had a couple of extra weeks to study and pray through the topic that we're covering and addressing today is one full of emotional baggage and also personal opinion and positions and and so divorce is both a tragic reality of a broken world in which we live and it's also a necessary action at times to protect lives the topic of divorce has always been a divisive issue and it's no different in Jesus day it was no different in Jesus' day as we're gonna see here in our study And so in our passage today, we see how there were two competing views of why God had provisions in the Old Testament law for this issue of divorce. And the Pharisees were going to intentionally try to trap Jesus in what I would call a no-win situation by trying to force him to take a side and share his position. As always, as we find out with Jesus confronting these questioners, He always had a masterful way of confounding them with his wisdom, but also confronting the issue that would transcend their human perspective through the power of his gospel. And so with that, we're going to read our passage as we get into the message today. Typically, I read the passage first, and then we dive in. But we're going to read Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12 throughout our study today. So if you want to just be ready. And we'll look at that. But I feel like I need to kind of give us a refresher on what the Gospel of Mark is all about since we haven't been here for several weeks. And I'm so thankful to have other capable teachers. Joey Taccon, a couple of weeks ago, when our missionary to Italy, spoke. And then Pastor Don spoke last week. He, uh, he's on vacation uh, this week. Actually, he's heading back today. He's been down in Florida, you know. All these Florida birds that went to Florida this week. The Thompsons went to Florida this week. Thanks for sharing those pictures of paradise. I wasn't jealous at all. Anyway, uh, it, it was good. I'm glad that everybody gets a chance to get away and just enjoy the beautiful nature that God's created. But to kind of re- refresh this just quickly, what is an outline of Mark? Kind of a basic outline of Mark here on your screen. Uh, Mark 1 through 7, Mark is dealing with who Jesus is. He, he's basically trying to Uh, point out the reality that Jesus is the Son of God and so through several miracles Mark primarily focuses on the actions of Jesus the miracles of Jesus he doesn't focus so much on the teachings of Jesus but through Mark 1 through 7 he's really trying to deal with that issue who is Jesus then in Mark 8 through 10 he's going to talk about how Jesus will save us and Mark Mark, chapter 8, right? The disciples thought Jesus was going to save them through becoming this political, military uh, 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 hero and saving the nation nationally. But that's not how Jesus was going to save them. He was going to suffer. He was going to bleed and die on a cross for most importantly the salvation of our souls. Oh, one day he will rule all nations with truth and justice, mercy and grace from the throne of the descendant of his father David and so Mark 1 through 7 who is Jesus Mark chapter 8 through 10 how Jesus will save us he's going to die and and rise again that's how he's going to save us and then Mark chapter 11 verse 3 through 13 he's going to talk about what about Israel and the expectations that they had again they had these false expectations placed upon who they thought God should be and then finally Mark chapter 14 through 16 the death and resurrection of Jesus and it looks like we might end on Easter Sunday with that final passage, just looking at how God's planned all that out with all the delays and everything else. And so we'll get there eventually. But today we're in Mark chapter 10, and I, just, I would say this starting out. We need to desperately hear what Jesus has to say to us in Mark chapter 10 today. Very, very important. You know, when sin entered the world, the relationship between men and women was completely capsized. God created man and woman and placed them into this world to exercise dominion over the earth. And we were to do this originally together. But when Adam and Eve sinned, death was introduced into the planet. Now, that de- now we know that that death that Adam and Eve experienced was not an immediate physical death, although they began to die. We know that the immediate death that God talked about was their spiritual nature died. And then what we also see is that they died relationally. Man and wife, husband and wife, right there in the garden, right after the fall, started to fight with one another, blame one another. And so we see from the very beginning, sin has broken the relationship between men and women and as you scan back through history you can see how this brokenness is often displayed and how societies and different cultures throughout history have treated the institution of marriage but God's people understand that the world they understand the world through the lens of this fall they understand that this world is broken and that we're in desperate need of someone who can fix this broken world and of course we know that the answer is Jesus And so when we see broken human institutions like the home, and we see broken institutions like failed schools and and, and failed government, we know to look deeper than those failed institutions to the root sin problem, don't we? We know that at the core of all of these broken institutions and the abuses of those institutions lies the issue of sin. And so the same is true in marriage. When we get to the topic of marriage, broken marriages abound in the world in which we live. We have rapidly become a divorce culture. And marital and family dysfunction seems to be at every level of society today. And it's not foreign to the church either. We face this. And so as we come with all these thoughts in our head about marriage and the culture today and how really that whole thought of marriage even itself has been, is, has, has been attacked and it's almost been put off to the side as an ancient institution. And we'll get into that in our study today. But when we look at this issue, the believer in Jesus doesn't look at this broken world and specifically at broken marriages and conclude that marriage itself is broken but rather we know that human beings are broken by sin and that the institution that God ordained marriage isn't the problem it's the people that are trying to be involved in the institution that's the problem. And So with that said today we're going to look at these 12 verses where Jesus lays this out and I always wonder why did Mark include this? Well number one because this is what Jesus said and this is what happened in his life so Mark thought it important to include this discussion Now, Matthew includes it as well, along with Luke, and Matthew is really interesting, and I'll allude to Matthew later in this parallel passage, Matthew 19. But Mark includes it because it did happen in the life of Jesus, and I think he includes it here for a specific reason, because Mark knew that on some level that the gospel that he was presenting, the life of Jesus, that the gospel is what will transform, rescue, redeem broken marriage. And so today, I don't know where you come into this study at in the, in the thought processes. Maybe you're struggling in a marriage right now. I hope that today you will hear the words of hope found in the gospel and that with a humble, hungry heart, you'll say, God, begin to transform my marriage and let that start with me. Perhaps you come in today and your marriage is great, but you have a friend or a family member who is struggling through a marriage and there's been something that's happened. And perhaps today you'll have some words that you can take to them and be a faithful counselor and help them in their marriage. Perhaps today you come in and you have had a broken marriage or you had a broken marriage 25 years ago and now you've been been remarried. And and so sometimes you look back on those things of your past and it seems like you can never break free from them. There's always this cloud hanging over you. Boy, I hope today that you'll see the hope that's found in the gospel to let go of the past, to look forward to what God has now in your life. And so three truths that we're going to look at here today. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, we first learn this. And you can write this down in your notes. We see, and I've already been talking about it in in, in the introduction. We see, first of all, how sin broke marriage. How sin broke marriage. And so let's read this passage of Scripture. Mark chapter number 10, verses 1 through 5. There it is. Now sin broke marriage. Mark chapter 10, verse 1. And he arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement And to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. So we begin our first section here in the study, Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, and we see how sin broke marriage. This section begins back in verse 1, you see. This section begins as Jesus is on his journey to Jerusalem. Now he is heading to the cross, but on his way, as Jesus always had a heart to do, Jesus was teaching. He was always taking opportunities to teach. And when he taught, he always had a group in his audience that wanted to be the difficult group. How many of you are teachers and you're always thankful for those difficult students that that you have? The ones who you know, it doesn't matter what you say, it's not getting through to them, it's going to take a miracle. Well, Jesus had the same kind of group and they were called Pharisees. Um, and they just refused to really hear any truth that Jesus had to say. The only reason they were there was to try to make the teacher look bad, was to try to stump the teacher. Now, it's very interesting why they show up here. And in fact, if you look at the geography, it says here, He arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. I always wondered, why did the Pharisees choose to bring up this question about divorce right here in Judea? Well, think about it. Who's ruling this area of Israel, Judea, at this time? Herod Antipas. And do you remember what happened to John the Baptist when John the Baptist spoke out against Herod Antipas' divorce? Do you remember? They had him beheaded. And so the Pharisees were actually asking this question, not because they really wanted to know, but they wanted Jesus to take a side in this Jewish debate on what Moses really meant by giving this bill of divorcement. And there were two schools that we're going to look at here in a moment, two different views. But they wanted Jesus to take a position so that maybe if he spoke out against divorce, they could see him killed like John the Baptist was. You see? so it wasn't an honest question there was a hot theological debate going on in that day centered around divorce just like there is probably to this very day especially in religious circles and so this question was brought up to Jesus not as an honest question they wanted to trap Jesus into one of the hot theological debates of their day and the question was is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife and they really are asking it from the perspective of for any cause, and what they're alluding to is a passage in Deuteronomy chapter number twenty-four. Look there with me; it's on the screen. Deuteronomy twenty-four verses one through four. He says, "This is the passage that they're wanting to uh, Jesus to give some clarity on." When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found underline the words some uncleanness in your passage there in Deuteronomy, because that's the big debate what does it mean what did Moses mean by some uncleanness now there were two schools of thought there were two schools of thought and I'll skip ahead here for just a second to show you that and that is this the, there were two views there was the school of Shammai everybody say Shammai alright that was the that was the more strict view alright and Shammai says that that phrase some uncleanness basically means sexual impurity some sexual sin now oh boy I have to navigate the tall weeds here today because we could really get into talking about what that means now Shammai I don't believe had adultery in view because according to the Old Testament law adultery was what punishable by death by stoning and so Shammai I believe had this view the Jew had somewhat of a unique marriage and betrothal period and certainly this is the context here where the man and wife would get engaged for an entire year somewhat like our engagement but the law behind it basically viewed them as married they had not had the official wedding ceremony yet they had not consummated their marriage obviously and so within that year the the uh, husband-to-be would go off and build his house typically he would build it as a connection onto his Father's house. In my father's house are many dwelling places, many mansions. And so uh, the uh, man would go and build his house, and then at some unannounced time, he would come back with his wedding party, and they would then engage in a week long festivities with the ceremony of the wedding. But in the Jewish culture, that whole year they were betrothed to one another, and legally it was as if they were married. And so in that period, if a lady was found to be sexually impure, according to the law of Moses, they could write a bill of divorce, a bill of annulment. They could write that. Uh, In fact, this is what Joseph was going to do before he learned that Mary was actually a virgin, that she was pure. Remember, it says that Joseph, being a just man, was going to put away Mary privately. But then the angel appeared. And so Shammai said, listen, here's a very strict view, you can only put away your spouse under some sexual sin issue that's unrepentant, that's very clear. The school of Hillel was the more liberal view of some uncleanness. Catch this, ladies. Basically, the school of Hillel believed that some uncleanness meant anything. Like, in fact, this is in the Jewish writings, even if a lady burned the husband's food, he could write her a bill of divorce. How many of you are thankful that that's not something that can happen today, right? I mean, I don't know if you've ever burnt my food, honey. But anyway, uh, these are the two views. What some uncleanness meant, right? Either sexual sin strictly or any reason. You know, she didn't make the bed right. And so as you can see, the school of Hillel view was very abusive and oppressive to women. Which is interesting as we get into this. Because if you look over at Matthew 19, 3... You can get this idea that many of the Pharisees there viewed the view of Hillel as being the correct view. It says over Matthew 19, 3, Can a man put away his wife for any cause? Anything that we want to do? Now, the reason I bring all this up is because with all these views, what they really missed in the book of Deuteronomy was this. Though Deuteronomy did give the people a procedure to follow with divorce, it did not encourage divorce or even allow it like many of them suspected. What do I mean by that? The reason that Moses gave them that that law was because of the hardness of their heart. It was because of their fallen, broken condition. And this is what we see, how sin broke marriage. They cite this passage with this exception that Moses gave. And, And of course they have two views on the exception that Moses gave. And what they missed was the reason that Moses had to give the exception. You know, at the end of our message today, we're going to talk about, well, pastor, is there an exception for divorce? And the problem with exceptions, isn't it the case that most of the time people gravitate towards the exceptions and make that the norm? And what we forget is, is that, no, that's not the way that God originally intended it. And so we see how sin has, has broken marriage. This procedure that Moses gave to the people of Israel was more a process Thoughtful, to, uh, a thoughtful process to protect specifically women. Because many times these guys would get married and then throw away their wife and move on to another. Very, very, I mean, all these cultures, uh, many of the cultures believed in polygamy as well. And what's interesting in this passage is Jesus even confronts that. He says, two shall become one. Two shall be one flesh. You see, Jesus is always taking What was there in the Old Testament and raising above it and showing how the gospel gives clarity and meaning and purpose and identity to this beautiful institution we call marriage. And so think about it. The people of Israel in the Old Testament, when Moses had to write this procedure of divorce, they had been in Israel or Egypt for 400 years. Unfortunately, the Israelites had learned the ways of the Egyptians even in their relationships. They were throwing away relationships. They viewed relationships as very temporary. And so they had learned many ways of the Egyptians. Relational chaos was a norm, not only in Egypt, but in many areas of the world of that day. People who are infected by lust, anger, and laziness, it always causes them and moves them towards giving up on human relationships quickly. And so God, in his wisdom, gave Moses specifically this bill of divorcement, specifically actually to slow down the process and to protect primarily women who were being abused through that process because of the wrong views of what some uncleanness meant. And so by the time Jesus came onto the scene, people had formed these two positions on what they thought Moses meant by some uncleanness. Again, they were focused on the exception rather than the greater lesson as we're about to look at. So today, uh, really, we're not even dealing with Shammai and Hillel in their view. Today, we've even viewed the actual institution of marriage as an as a institution that's run its course, and it's not even something that many should pursue. And So we see that with a lot of cohabitation now coming forward as as the norm. There's even programs and whole curriculums being put forth in schools today to basically undermine the foundation of marriage in the home. Why? Because again, they think there's a problem with the institution of marriage itself, but that's not the case. The problem is the human heart look at this statement the fracture and pain in the family was caused by the effects of the fall sin has done its destructive work and the aftershocks of broken marriage are felt to the ends of the earth fatherlessness distrust of other people suspicion promiscuity gender confusion poverty crime depression anxiety many of these things have their roots in or are made worse by broken marriages and so we see how sin has broken marriage But number two we see how the gospel restores hope notice what Jesus does in these next few verses 6 through 9 of Mark chapter number 10 of course how Jesus does it is he always responds to their questions with a question and he says well what does Moses command you? There in verse 3. And so they recite to him what the law was in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. But now look at verse 6. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they too, twain, shall be one flesh. So then they are no more two, but one flesh." What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Here's what's so fascinating about how Jesus responded to them. And if you catch anything, catch this in the next five minutes. I get excited about God's word. Sometimes maybe a little too excited, right? But I get excited. And I am so excited to share with you what Jesus is saying here because this is revolutionary. It shouldn't be to the guys who know the Bible here, the Pharisees. You know, they claim to know the Scriptures. But here's what Jesus does. Where does Jesus begin with the issue of marriage? Does he begin with Moses in Deuteronomy 24? No. He begins in the garden. In the garden before the fall. You see, marriage was before the fall. Marriage between man and wife was... Incredibly good in the eyes of God. And so Jesus here goes all the way back to Genesis. Why? Because this was the foundational text upon which Deuteronomy was really referencing. But of course, Deuteronomy was giving this terrible exception because of the hardness of the hearts, because men were abusing women, because they had learned the ways of the Egyptians, and they were just throwing away human relationships left and right. And so Jesus doesn't get hung up on Hillel or Shammai or what Moses meant by the phrase some uncleanness. He always goes big, super universal picture. He goes back to the garden. And you know what he's saying in this passage, I believe, and why Mark put this passage here is because Mark was saying, listen, I'm going to stop for 12 verses and tell you about this marriage discussion because because I don't know, perhaps in the sovereignty of God's plan, he knew that 2,000 years later, marriages would be broken all across. Across this universe just like they always have and that the gospel would be the thing that gives hope to marriage that the cross of Jesus Christ that the resurrection of Jesus Christ that the power of his spirit would do this it would actually be able to make marriage better than Eden because we now have his spirit ruling and reigning in our lives now when I say that for some of us we're like that's impossible. My marriage can't even get back to Eden, let alone better than Eden, Pastor. What are you talking about? Will you hold on to hope? Because the gospel is your living hope. Will you believe that God can transform your marriage through starting with transforming you? But, but, but it's my spouse. No, no, no. I, I, I know. You me how does the gospel restore hope mark here is doing something I believe rather incredible as he's writing this he see Jesus is really saying that he wants to bring marriage all the way back to Eden before the fall Do you believe it's possible? What we see in verse 6, number 1, is that a gospel-redeemed marriage can faithfully represent God. He says here, a gospel-redeemed marriage can faithfully represent God. Notice verse 6. He says, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. And if you study Genesis 1 and 2, you find out that God made man and woman. In the image of God. Jesus alludes to that passage here in Mark chapter number 10. He alludes to Genesis 1, and Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Why is this important to remember? Why is it important to remember that we were made both male and female in the image of God? What that means is, is that we can stop fighting for preeminence in our roles in marriage a lot of marital conflict today is because society along with our own thought processes has flipped roles, attacked roles, um, denigrated roles. Most TV shows over the last 30 years have denigrated the role of the father in the home. Why? Because the battles always been against husband and wife. It's always been against the home from the very beginning. And so a gospel-redeemed marriage can faithfully represent God, but it takes male and female. It takes both in a marital union together so that we can be His image bearers. You see, we can be at rest in our roles so that we can then flourish through those roles. Together, they represent God on this earth. Together we are his image bearers, which is fascinating. You know, God has always chosen throughout the word of God to reveal himself as a father. However, there are other scriptures where he also talks about motherly tendencies. As a mother hen desires to gather her chicks under her wings, so I have desired to gather you. So, so God primarily reveals himself as father, but we know that both male and female were created in the image of God. And that literally, woman was pulled out of the side of Adam. And so both are made in the image of God. But what it tells me is is that it took male and female to fully reflect the image of God. This is why marriage is so powerful. And young people, listen up. Boys and girls, listen up. This is why marriage, if God has that as a plan for your life, is such a wonderful thing. There's no greater human relationship that you'll have on this earth than the relationship that you can and should have with your spouse. And so a gospel can redeem marriage and it can faithfully represent God. That's what he's saying, I believe, in verse 6. Verse 7, though, he talks about this idea of a great love is abandoned for even a stronger and greater love. Boys and girls, raise your hand if you really love your mommy and daddy. Raise your hand. Come on, come on, come on. I mean, I love my mom and dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aaron's like, yes, I do love my mommy too because she's here. That's right, that's right. Um, I tell you, I love my mom and dad. I did, I, I, I'm going to tell you this, I, I've probably told you this before, I didn't realize how much I loved my mom and dad until they were pulling away my freshman year at college. I was bawling like a baby. I was, I mean, mom and dad are leaving me, you know, little birdies out of the nest now finally on his own and, and I was bawling. Uh, Pastor Ryan was my roommate and he was looking at me like, dude, what's your problem? Anyway, it, it, it was great, we were, we were having a good time. And uh, I was just bawling. I didn't realize how much I love my mom and dad. But, but here's the reality. On the day that I got married, there's a part of the wedding where specifically with the wife, the father hands her off to her husband-to-be. And what's being pictured there in that moment in the marriage is the formation of a new family. And what's happening in that symbolism as well is that we're taking the great love that we've had for mom and dad... And we're now pursuing a greater love. See what Jesus says in verse 7? For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. That's a great love. But he's now going to cleave to his wife. And so this is a greater love. This love must continually grow. But here's what happens in so many marriages. And, and, and the reason we have broken marriage today is because what happens in a love relationship in marriage, new loves creep in. A love for a career. A love for a hobby, a love for a friend, outside of your friendship with your spouse. Many men and women get into a marriage and they get tempted to pursue new loves than the love that they should have for their spouse. And again, this might not even be a love that would be of a romantic interest. But so many I've heard, I've seen so many who love their job so much that they're never at home. And so, so many things vie for our time and attention, but what Jesus is saying here is we abandon that, that, that great love we have for mom and dad for an even stronger, greater love with our spouse. And so think about your own marriage relationship right now. Have you allowed other loves to creep in? Loves of a career or a hobby or some other goal? And so he says, these, these verses are incredible. He goes back to Genesis and he says, the gospel, a gospel-redeemed marriage can faithfully represent the image of God. Number two, great love is abandoned for an even stronger and greater love. But notice number three, he says, the two shall become one, verse eight, and they too shall be one flesh. So then they are no more two, but one flesh. God melded man and woman into one. God saw them as one. They were united in the sight of God. Yes, man and woman are still distinct in their uh, 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 um, traits and roles, but their physical union does bind the one to the other. And this is why, listen closely, this is why sexual activity before marriage is harmful because it blurs the lines of that relationship. It makes you one in a sense, but without a covenant or a commitment to reflect that deep oneness that you're trying to live out. In marriage, however, sexual union is safe because the oneness is not just physical, but it's universal. It's total in its scope. And if you've grown in your marriage beyond that point where, because let's face it, many times we get married for all the wrong reasons and we just are physically attracted to that person. So that's why I love them. And that's so shallow. But what happens in marriage is you grow deeper in your love and you understand that the physical relationship and love is just one part of a much bigger picture. And so, two shall become one. Jesus championed this one flesh approach between one man, one woman, following the one God for one lifetime. But here's here's what happens. Here's how we don't follow verse 8 in our marriages today. What happens is is marriages tend to break down when people behave as two single individuals in the home. Too many men and women, what, what happens? They get married and after several years they get disillusioned and they run off to, quote, find themselves. When really... They should go right back to their spouse and find themselves there. That's really all they need to discover. It's found right there in their relationship with their spouse before God where true oneness is cultivated. A marriage will flourish. You see, what happens a lot of times is two people get married. They go through the ceremony, but they don't have this change in their thinking that two have become one. And so a lot of times you have individuals living in a house together, but that's all they're doing. They've got their separate finances, they've got their separate careers, they've got their separate hobbies. The only time they see each other is maybe for a couple of minutes each week. And this is why. Why? Because we are trying to un-one what God has won. God says, the two shall become one flesh. And that's where Jesus goes here in verse 9, but before I read verse 9, can I ask you this question? Are you friends with your spouse? Are you friends? You know, in the Song of Solomon, uh uh-oh, pastor just said Song of Solomon. This this is going to get interesting. By the way, I'm actually thinking about preaching a series through Song of Solomon next year. Yeah. One of the most incredible gospel books in all the Bible. Can't wait. But in the Song of Solomon, you know what's so fascinating about the Song of Solomon? I mean, there are some pretty interesting details in that, in that, uh, in that uh, book about a marriage relationship. And, um, but what's so fascinating, in all the romantic verses in the Song of Solomon, the wife refers to her husband as her friend. Friend. Perhaps some of us, <laughs> we just need to focus on being good friends again. What do good friends do? They talk to one another. They listen to one another. They do stuff together like go fishing or go to concerts. Uh, I'm trying to think of stuff that my wife likes to do. Uh, yeah, go to concerts. Uh, go on nature hikes. Right? You know, but, but be friends together. A lot of couples today just aren't even good at being friends together. Why do you need to be good friends with your spouse? Because they're ever-changing. Man, when I got married, my spouse changed. Yeah, you think? The the second most important decision in their life fundamentally changed them. You stepped into their life, and they're ever-changing. And so because they're an ever-changing, ever-growing, developing creature by God, we must pursue them. And parents, can I just stop and say this about one flesh, and it's this? One of the best things that you can do for your children is to prioritize your marriage. Now I know for moms that's, oh, that can even be a little bit, Oh, Pastor, what are you saying? Just hear, hear, hear me out, okay? Your children are not one flesh with you. They need you, and we love our children. Fathers and mothers should both love their children deeply, but children, I want you to hear this too. What they need is, is they need us as a spouse, as husband and wife, living out the oneness that we possess together. Yes, it is important for children to be secure in the love that their parents have for them, but they also need to be secure in the love that you have for their, for their other parent. Because if they are uncertain of your love for mom or, or for dad, they won't ever be secure in their love that you have for them. And we know, and I know that many children could speak, coming from broken homes, who could speak to that reality and say, you know, that is so true. And so Jesus talks about this idea of oneness. He talks about how we, pursue a great, how we take a great love and we turn and pursue a greater love. And he talks about how a gospel-redeemed marriage can, can reflect the image of God on this earth. But finally, he says here in this passage, he says, don't let the marriage relationship in. Verse 9. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. God presides over every married couple. He is the one that ultimately binds us together. Our marriage, think about this. Our marriage is an act of worship, an act of devotion and of stewardship to God. God. I think for some of us, it would just change our perspective if we walked out of this room this morning thinking, okay, if nothing else in my marriage is right, I'm going to view my marriage as an act of worship to God. That would transform. It would begin to transform everything about our marriage relationship. And so what is Jesus saying here? Well, he's saying don't mess with what God has established. (laughs) And he goes all the way back to Genesis to do it. He says God put you together stay together well that brings us to our final point and that's this don't let the marriage relationship end. or actually applying God's grace to our relationships applying God's grace to our relationships verses 10 through 12 as often would happen after Jesus gives a teaching later on in private with his disciples they ask him okay Jesus can you say that again I'm not sure I understood everything there. And so verse 10, And in the house his disciples asked him again of the same matter. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Wow. Jesus was pretty straightforward, wasn't he? Now, You have to read Matthew 19 as well because this is the exact parallel passage to this passage and we'll address that here in a second but Jesus words here are revolutionary for a couple of reasons number one because notice this he was placing women and men on an equal footing in the first century notice that it wasn't just the man who had the option here of leaving but he also said the woman and so in one sense, he was changing their thinking from a male-dominated society to really male and female in this relationship that both of them have a responsibility in the marriage. So that was fascinating. Number two, though, this actually sounds more stringent and more restrictive than even Shammai and certainly Hillel. Of course, the two views on Moses. Why? Well, marriage is meant to be permanent in the eyes of God. That's why because from the beginning it was not so. Hold your place and look at Matthew chapter 19 verse 8. He saith unto them, this is the parallel passage to Mark 10, Moses because of the hardness of your hearts suffered allowed you to put away your wives. Why? Because you were getting married to one one night, and then you are getting married to another one the next night. I, literally, they were doing this. They still do this in Middle, Middle Eastern cultures in, in the world today. It's called one-night marriages. Terrible. Very abusive to women. Aren't you thankful for the gospel and Christianity that actually elevates the true role of the woman from the Garden of Eden and protects her? And so Moses put this forward to really slow it down, to slow down what you had learned from all the other cultures from the Egyptians but he says but from the beginning it was not so you see what we learn is that the grace of God softens and transforms the heart and I believe places us in a position even better than Eden what do I mean by that why do I believe there is so much hope for marriage today it's because God doesn't just come down to the garden for a couple of moments each day and walk with Adam and Eve In the new covenant, through the gospel of grace, the Holy Spirit comes and resides within us 24 hours a day for the rest of our lives, sealed to the day of redemption. And I'm just here, I believe with all my heart that marriage can be better than it was in the garden because we are now in Christ. We are in the Spirit. That's what Ephesians 5 is all about. Paul expounds on this beautiful picture of marriage. And he says at the end of that great explanation of the husband and wife relationship, he says, This is a great mystery, but I speak of Christ and his church. Paul knew that the only hope for marriage everlasting, for marriage ever being a picture of God and his love, was through the gospel. And so the disciples hear, hear these hard statements of Jesus. And of course, they conclude in Matthew 19, 10. Check this out. The, the disciples understood the permanence of which Jesus was talking about marriage. He says, his disciples say to him, if that be the case with man, if the case of the man be so with his wife, it's not good to marry. They're basically like, uh, single? What they understood is the weight of Jesus words, worse. But here's what they missed. They missed the power. They missed the hope. They were still stuck on Hillel, Shammai, what was the meaning of some uncleanness? And they hear Jesus, stringent. But what they missed was the power and the strength to maintain that bond. Now, of course, the question becomes are there any exceptions? Are there any exceptions to this? Well, Mark chapter 10 doesn't mention any. Matthew seems to allude to some. But Mark doesn't mention any. Why? I think he's pointing out the sobriety and the sanctity that, which we, should, that we should have towards marriage vows, and rightfully so. Yesterday I performed the wedding for um, Brent Keenum and, and uh, his uh, fiance Carson. What a beautiful day it was for a wedding down in Coleman. And just before the vows, I told Brent and Carson both, I reminded them, the vows that they were entering to, there are none more intimate, none more special, none more sacred than the vows that they were about to enter into yesterday. And so I think Mark, he leaves it here without going into anything that Matthew talked about, Matthew 19, and again, you can read those verses. He leaves it because he's wanting to point to the sobriety and the sanctity of the marriage relationship. But in Matthew 19, in the parallel passage to Mark 10, Matthew seems to give. And I want you to underline that word, seems to give, because there is great debate around the exceptions. In fact, isn't it funny? There's still basically two or three schools of thought around what Matthew 19 says. And here's what happens. The same thing that happened in the first century. We want to gravitate immediately to the exception. So if, so if my spouse is a jerk, I can divorce him. So, so, so what we do is we take what seems to be some exceptions probably still for the reality of the brokenness of the human condition because let's face it there are some marriages that are actually physically dangerous to be involved in where the law steps in, where legal steps in to protect life. But let's face it a lot of the divorces that we know of or that maybe even we've had to endure have not been because of the rare exceptions They've been because the reality is, is we live in a broken universe where people continue to practice throwaway relationships. Now, I say all that to say this. How should we respond to what we've heard today? For some, you might hear this message and say, well, I think I just need to stay single the rest of my life. And you know what? God gives that gift to so many I think sometimes we present this idea of marriage as this has to be the path that God has for every person who's ever lived and sometimes we in the church if we're not careful we put pressure on single people like singleness is this second-class status no it's actually a wonderful status we believe that Paul was single either he had always been single or perhaps because of his salvation his wife left him first Corinthians 7 you can look at another exception clause that Paul talks about where if two unbelieving spouses were married and then one of the spouses gets married and the other spouse decides to leave then Paul says let them depart and so again even in that view there there, there, there could be an exception but for some you hear a like this and you're like man marriage is serious yes because it is the first and foundational picture of the gospel in our relationship with God that God ordained before the fall so for some you're like I don't think I'm gonna enter into a marriage covenant unless I'm really 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 sure good that's the way we should enter into marriage and young people listen to me clearly it breaks my heart when I see young people rush headlong into a marriage and they've got all these thoughts of Hollywood happily ever after and they don't realize that they're about to enter into the most difficult seasons of discipleship they've ever faced in their life And I see a lot of spouses looking at me and nodding and smiling. Because you know it's true. Oh, but it's wonderful. I'm not saying that marriage isn't great. Marriage is the best thing in the world. But for some, never marry. Number two, maintain a high view of marriage. If there's anything this study does today is it elevates our view of marriage. Gets us away from, well, what about this exception? What about this? No, Jesus goes back to Genesis and he says, listen, from the beginning it was not so. And I'm here, catch it, I'm here to establish a new beginning. maintain a high view of marriage. It's sacred. It's special. Number three, we need to be biblically sensitive to the issue of marriage and divorce. I didn't spend a lot of time on the exception clauses today because, again, that's a whole can of worms for a different day, a different study. But we need, listen, if you're struggling in your marriage, the worst thing you can do is to struggle alone. You need to seek out biblical counsel to confront the marital issues you're facing I'm convinced that most marriages in the church today have some level of confrontation, of struggle that they're dealing with. And so many times we come into a worship service and we pretend like everything's great. But the reality is, is not everything's great because you have two people who, yes, hopefully have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They've been born again, but they've still got a flesh. Oh, their sin nature died 2,000 years ago on the cross with Jesus Christ. They might not even know that yet. But yes, they still have holdover flesh patterns that they think through and they deal with. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so marriages are struggling today. Why? Because they've gotten the gospel out of their view. They forgot that a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Yes, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. But a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Who's the third person in the cord between husband and wife? God. And then finally, we need to extend grace to our church community and others. Listen, I asked for a show of hands at the beginning of our message today because I knew that this hits every person in this room in some way. I think it's unfortunate that many times in Christianity we have taken this issue of divorce and almost taught it as it's the unpardonable sin. How sad. How sad. We put divorcees in a second class permanent status, irregardless of whether these, these divorces happen when neither of them knew Jesus 25, 30, 40 years ago, and now they've had a consistent, godly marriage. I think we just don't extend grace. And, I, and as I thought about that this week, I thought, why is that? Because so many times we have the same kind of thought process that the Pharisees had look at them, look at me. You know what? We need to extend grace we need to extend grace to our church community and others why because we live in the reality of a broken universe and we continually deal with it divorce is a gut-wrenching reality in so many relationships today we live in a divorce culture where it's very easy to quit on marriage and this is why we need God's grace this is why we need what Jesus is teaching us here listen God wants to take your marriage to a place that you can't even begin to imagine but it will start when you say God Change me, continue to work in my life, help me to see how I can serve my spouse better, selflessly giving myself away just as you did when you came to the cross. And that's where we go at the close of our message today. I'm gonna ask Rebecca, my lovely wife, to come and play He Will Hold Me Fast as we close today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, As you think about the truth you've heard from God's word today, we live in a broken world where sin has broken marriage. But brothers and sisters, I know that the gospel offers hope. I know that because I've experienced that in my own life, in my own marriage with my wife. The gospel of grace transformed how I see every relationship in my life but specifically with my wife and if you're hurting today if you're in a marriage where you are dealing with the brokenness of the reality in which we live I want you to hear my words clearly there is hope and God intends and made a way for you to have a marriage even better than what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden why? because you have the Spirit of God living within you. How many of you would say, Pastor, I just needed to hear that today? And by God's grace, I'm renewing my mind to the truth that there is hope for my marriage. If that's you and you're not ashamed to say that you were struggling with that today, listen, all of us at some point go through that. How many of you would say, Pastor, that was me today. I just needed to hear that there's hope for my marriage. Would you just raise your hand and put it right back down? I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone like that? Thank you for your honesty, my brothers and sisters. Thank you for saying, you know, I can share that. I need to hear that. My marriage isn't perfect. But here's the good news of the Gospel. The Gospel wants to redeem that. Perhaps the action step you need to take today out of this sermon is just to trust a spiritual advisor, a counselor. So you know, we're struggling and we need to focus on our marriage. We need to focus on our relationship with God. as a church are committed to having strong marriages. Here in several months, we're going to have a marriage retreat for all of our couples in our church. But even before that, perhaps what we need to do is we need to start looking around at some of our younger couples, those who have been married for 30, 40 years. You've gone through the trenches. You've dealt with so many things. Perhaps we need some marriage mentoring in our church perhaps God would lay a couple on your heart, and I know that we don't want this to be awkward or weird, but but folks, we have to break the ice and say, you know what? My husband and I, we have gone through so much over the last 30 or 40 years. Perhaps, uh, you know, Pastor was sharing that today, and we just want to build a friendship with you. and, and, And if there's any way that we can pour into your marriage and encourage you guys, we would love to do that. Perhaps you come today from a broken home. Understand that this is not the way that God intended it. Perhaps you've dealt with feelings of loneliness, rejection, isolation, fear, uncertainty. Here's the good news. You have a God that will never leave you nor forsake you. You have a God who is a father to the fatherless. You have a God who in the gospel has redeemed marriage and it can be the probably the best reflection of his love on this earth. Father thank you for your time thank you for our time in your word today oh marriage divorce and gospel hope we have that in Christ and Lord I pray today for all the marriages here in our church that you would strengthen them that we would be honest about where we're struggling and, and trust a, a, a spiritual advisor, a mentor in our life. And Father, we would be intentional. For some of us, we just need to go home and practice being good friends again. We're living with a stranger, and Lord, that falls on both of our responsibilities. We have to make this intentional. We have to put the other first as we pursue them, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you hold us fast. And thank you that in the gospel we see how we can hold fast, hold tightly to our marriage covenant. Why? Because we stood before our spouse on that day and we said, In sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, for better or for worse, till death do us part. I'm thankful, God, that you offer hope today for any marriage strengthen our marriages here in our church and may we be a picture of your redeeming transforming grace we pray in Jesus name Amen thank you so much for being here today church family as Rebecca plays I do feel led just to give you a moment to respond perhaps you just want sit, to uh, uh, sit there and kneel at your chair um, perhaps you just want to get together with your spouse and pray and just say you know what we're gonna work on being good friends again life's gotten busy I've been pursuing my career you've been pursuing your career Uh, we we just need to make an intentional step so she plays would you just think quietly about what you've heard today and perhaps pull your spouse close to you whisper a prayer in their ear let them know you love them that you're thankful for them if you need help in this area church please reach out All I can do is point you to Jesus Christ who is your hope. We have great tools and resources that we can seek to equip you with as well. But I hope today that you've heard that there is hope for your marriage. Thank you, Lord, for your word. May we go out today with a renewed hope, a renewed commitment to our marriages, to our spouse, and may you strengthen us as we walk in grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.